Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 558 with Michael Hyatt, sharing how to escape nonstop urgency and become a visionary. I hope you're doing well. If you're still working from home, you are finding a good groove. And Michael's got some pro tips on getting into that groove with a clear vision for yourself and your teams. You'll learn, one, why anyone can be a vision-driven leader. Two, the four key components of a good vision script. And three, how to turn your vision into action. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, you can expand your episode notes or show description in your podcast app player or visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep558. And by the way, if you'd like the wisdom from Michael and, and every guest who's gone before him in a quick digestible email as each new episode comes out and access to the archive, the vault of, of all we call those the gold nuggets. I haven't mentioned those on the show lately, but they're, they're front and center on the website, awesomeatyourjob.com. And you might want those emails and access to all 558 nuggets of, of wisdom. You can read them in about two or three minutes. They're short and kind of hit the main points. Although, you know, you miss out on some of the fun stories and details. So, you know, you get them both if you listen and you read. It can serve as a good review and recap as well. Anyway, that's the gold nuggets. Here's Michael's story. Michael Hyatt is the founder and CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, a leadership coaching and development firm twice listed on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing U.S. companies. He's a longtime publishing executive and the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson, which is now part of HarperCollins. He is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of several books, including Your Best Year Ever, Living Forward, and Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World. Michael is the creator of the Full Focus Planner, which combines quarterly goal tracking and daily productivity in a proven system for personal and professional achievement. His blog and weekly podcast, Lead to Win, are go-to resources for hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, executives, and aspiring leaders. He's been featured by Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. Michael and his wife of 40 years, Gail, live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Big thanks to Michael for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients to your own compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Michael. Michael, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, yes. Well, I'm looking forward to, to digging into this. We're going to talk about visions and leaders. So I want to kind of hear from your own experience. Tell us, who's the, the greatest leader you've encountered firsthand and, and what was their vision like? Oh, man. Yeah, I would say probably John Maxwell. 
who's well-known in corporate circles for sure, but I had the privilege of being his publisher for about a decade and got to know him pretty close. And he was sort of my unofficial mentor. But yeah, he had a tremendous amount of charisma and was always able to just be super relatable. And the thing that I loved about him the most is he led from his heart. Yeah, well, we've had him on the show a couple of times. I'm a fan. So right on. Very cool. Well, and I'm curious, did you have any particular moments with John that really kind of hit you like, mm, yeah, do that. <laughs> do that in my leadership. Yeah, there were a couple of times when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which was a pretty large publicly held company. I remember him telling me when I first took that job, he said, you know, you hear people say all the time, it's lonely at the top. He said, I just want you to know that's a choice. You don't have to be lonely at the top. That's totally a choice. And I've always remembered that because I thought, you know, it's a real reason why you need friends outside of work and why you need people that can, you know, you can relate to outside of work that can kind of understand you, get you, be an encouragement to you and, and support you when things are not going that great at work. All right. Well, that's a handy tip. Excellent. So, well, let's, let's dig into uh, your, your latest upcoming book here, The Vision Driven Leader. So I'm curious, uh, that sounds like that's um, how leaders should operate. But uh, if leaders are not driven by vision, what is driving them? Yeah, the thing that's driving them typically is the tyranny of the urgent. All right. Most leaders I know that are leading uh, are not driven by vision. And I think that most of them think they should be driven by vision, but it's not taught in business school. There are only about two books that I could find on the topic on Amazon. Nobody's really written about it. And because there aren't a lot of visionary leaders in the marketplace, people just assume that it's you know a special kind of charisma or clairvoyance or gifting. And most people just kind of go, I don't have the vision thing, so I guess I can't lead from vision. So they just kind of do the next thing that comes, you know, across the plate. And being driven from vision is a, is a very different way to live. It's a way to live by design, a way to run your business or your department or your division by design, because the alternative, Pete, is to drift. And nobody ever drifted to a destination they would have chosen. And if you're just in reactive mode all the time, then you're really squandering resources. You have a lack of focus, a lack, lack of attention. And if you can consolidate all that around a vision, it changes everything. Well, so I'm intrigued by your assertion there that there's only a couple books on Amazon. And I guess I think that, you know, hey, a vision is one of like the main things you got to have as a leader and you should uh, craft and, and communicate and inspire through that. And so you're saying that is a rarity. And so then I want to kind of zero in on the distinction here. So there's only, I guess there's a lot of books that kind of talk about vision, but you say there's only about two that do what exactly? Yeah, I think the issue is that people confuse it with mission. Okay. And people think that, you know, a vision has got to be something that's short, brief, clever, something you can slap on a coffee mug or put on a t-shirt. And that's really not robust enough to guide you. But just to make it clear, the mission and vision seem similar, but I differentiate the two between in, in the book. You know, a mission provides day-to-day -day clarity by kind of defining the identity and scope of the business. And an effective mission statement keeps you on task by answering some certain questions. But a vision is really not about now, and a mission is about now. A vision is about then. Uh, a mission is typically short, something that you can repeat almost from memory, but a vision is gonna be a more robust blueprint of the future that you're trying to create. So, you know, I think it's, it's important to differentiate those two things from the other. Okay, 
Well, so then uh, let's let's zero in. So the subtitle of your book, we've got 10 questions there that, that focus efforts, energize team and, and enable scaling. So, boy, I love powerful questions. So can you lay some of them on us here? Yeah, like the first one is, are you a leader or a manager? Mm-hmm. And this is a fundamental question. Both of them are important, but they're distinct functions. Sometimes they're the same. You know, sometimes your role may require that you have a leadership role and a management role, but let me kind of differentiate the two. First of all, leaders create vision while managers execute vision. Think of it this way. If you're leading, you're leading people somewhere. Otherwise, you're just taking a walk. That somewhere is your vision. If you don't have a vision, you're just taking a walk. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take risks. Managers control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon while managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. Again, both are important, but the essence of leadership, the foundation, the thing that's kind of the number one priority is vision. Okay, well, so then, one, can a person be both a leader and a manager? Totally. And that is, I imagine you're doing some activities that are more in the leader column and some activities that are more in the manager column, depending on the, the hour of the day. Yeah, well, let me give you an example of where it was separated in two people, but I really think this is a skill set and something that anybody can develop. And this is why I wrote The Vision Driven Leader, because it's my conviction that anybody can be a vision-driven leader. But Steve Jobs is probably the, the most iconic, biggest example of somebody that was a visionary leader. You know, his wife at his funeral said that the thing that Steve brought to the table was that he didn't just see what reality lacked but he set about to try to remedy it. So he saw what was missing and went about to try to remedy that. And so you can remember when the iPhone was introduced, Steve wasn't just the guy that said, hey, let's make an incremental improvement on the phone keyboard, you know, which was very prevalent at the time. Mm -hmm. No, he said, let's completely eliminate that. Let's make it software driven. Let's let it be operated with one finger. And he had one button on that initial iPhone. Of course, now it doesn't even have a button, but Mm -hmm. that was an iconic kind of vision. Meanwhile, you've got Tim Cook, who is really the manager, who is behind the scenes, optimizing the supply chain, making sure that costs could be controlled, risk could be managed. And it took both of those guys to really develop an amazing company. But here's the thing. When Steve died, everybody, all the press, all the tech press, people on Wall Street said, well, I guess that's the end of Apple. You know, maybe they'll last for a while. Maybe they can, you know, coast on their momentum but the visionary is gone. Not so fast. Tim Cook stepped into the role of leading that company and became visionary in his own way. It was different than Steve's, but it was still visionary. And guess what the stock price did? Basically, the market cap of that company tripled under Tim's leadership. So the company has gone on to amazing heights that even Steve couldn't take it to. Yeah. So I think these kind of roles can be, they are roles. They're not the the essence of who you are. Anybody can be a vision-driven leader. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good line there. They are rules and not the essence of who you are. And, and so then you say that uh, we are often kind of caught up in the urgent and the stuff that we're handling, and the vision is, is bigger and it's kind of where we're going. So could you just sort of lay down a, a few articulations of visions for us so we can you know get that distinction crystal clear like, oh, that. Let me give you a definition. So when I'm talking about a vision, I'm not talking about a vision statement. A statement's not sufficient. I'm talking about, and the word I use in in the book is a vision script. It's a written document that's three to five pages in length. 
it articulates an imagined future at least three years into the future, maybe five years or more, depending on your industry. It's superior to the present. It motivates you. It's written in the present tense, and it guides you and your team in day-to-day decision-making. And it's organized, and I talk about this in the book, around four key components. The future of your team, that's where it's got to start. The future of your products, the future of your marketing, and the future of your impact. And those are just you know, sort of the objective, measurable metrics, things like uh, financial size or market reach, number of customers, web, visit, web visits, or something like that. But the reason it starts with your team is your team is going to be the primary means by which you realize this imagined future. They're going to be the ones that are going to help you bring that into reality. Your team, the people you attract, the culture that you're creating is the single biggest driver of operating results. This is why some leaders can't seem to make any progress in their organizations. They're fighting against this invisible wall of culture. So you've got to Mm -hmm. reimagine something different and begin to create that. That's why the team component of that goes first. Well, and I also want to get your view. So if you're not at the, you know, super senior um, or, you know, CEO or uh, uh, just a, a notch or two below level, how do you envision, uh, envision uh, these vision scripts or principles playing out for someone who has a small team or, or someone who does not yet have, have formal direct reports, but is, is doing that influencing uh, across functions and such? Well, it totally works at any level. So I talk in the book about when I became sort of a mid-level manager at Thomas Nelson Publishers, I was given responsibility for one of our 14 book divisions. So I was two steps removed from the CEO. I was in charge of this division. And I discovered, much to my surprise, a few days after I took the job, that that division was number 14 out of 14 in every important metric. It had the Hmm. slowest revenue growth. It was the least profitable. In fact, it had lost money. Team morale was terrible. The division was failing. So the CEO said to me, he said, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? And so I said to him, I said, I'm not sure, but I think probably about three years. The first thing I did was I booked an offsite retreat. I went away for 24 hours and I just tried to get clear on what I wanted to create for the future. This is the first time I'd ever done this, but I thought this thing is such a mess that I've got to imagine something different that's going to motivate us and something that we can build toward. And I'd been heavily influenced, though I never met him, by Stephen Covey. And Mm -hmm. habit number two in the seven laws is begin with the end in mind. So I began to think to myself, okay, what is it that I want to create here? And I started writing down everything I could think of. And I ended up, this was like an early version of the vision script. I ended up with 10 statements or 10 bullet points about the reality that I wanted to see in the future. So for example, let me give you an idea. So that division had not had any best-selling books for years. And so I wrote down, we're publishing five New York Times business bestsellers per year. So I literally wrote that down like it was a present reality. I said, we're publishing 48 books a year. Now, the interesting thing was at the time that I wrote that, we were publishing 120 books a year. So Mm -hmm. I was essentially proposing that we cut the list by more than half because I felt like the increased focus the concentration of resources would better ensure the success of each of the books. So that was a radical thing. Another example, I said, all of our employees are maxing out their bonuses because I wanted our team. I wanted us to earn the maximum bonus because I knew that would motivate people and people could work for that because they would, they would have the incentive 
uh, to succeed because they would directly benefit if we did. So after that retreat, I came back with those 10 items written down and I got together my inner circle, my a handful of direct reports. And I said, look, I've been thinking about the future and I've written some things down. This is kind of the beginning of a vision, but I don't have it perfect. And I need your help. This is a rough draft. It's wet cement. I'm probably missing some things. There's probably some things I don't have quite right. And I need your input. So I involved them, invited them into a conversation where over the course of the next few weeks, we collectively got clearer on what it was that we wanted to create. Once we got that together, then we shared it with the entire team. It was so motivational. Everybody was inspired by it. We got excited about it. We let that be an operating document that informed our daily actions, and we worked hard. It didn't take us three years, like I told the CEO. It only took us a year and a half. We went from number 14 to number one in revenue growth, number 14 to number one in profit margin, and that division remained the most profitable division at Thomas Nelson Publishers for 10 years, for a decade until I left the company in 2011. Well, yes, that is quite lovely in terms of once you start to describe specifically those bits in a present reality, it just naturally, you know, stirs something inside you like, yes, I want that. Definitely. Let's go get that. And now a few things that leap to mind here are one, how do you deal with the the potential cynicism or lack of belief? Like, yeah, Michael, that'd be great. But I mean, come on, you know, it's not in the cards. Yeah, I'd love that, yeah. but you know, here we are. Well, cynicism is is really a cancer, and it's a really hard thing to deal with in a lot of organizations because people have dealt with a, a lot of disappointment. They've listened to leaders that you know have articulated a vision but not rolled up their sleeves and helped. It seems so pie in the sky. People have to believe it. And I think it really starts with you as the leader. You've got to be sold first. If you're not buying what you're selling, you don't have a chance of selling to other people. You've got to be able to believe it and you've got to make it compelling. This is like so many things in any kind of organization. It comes down to sales. We're all in sales. I don't care what your role is. If you can't sell your ideas to your boss, if you can't sell it to the people working for you, you're not going to be successful. So what you've got to do is you've got to tune in to the most popular radio station on earth that everybody listens to. And that's uh, WIIFM. What's in it for me? That's the question that everybody's asking. And so you got to be able to answer that question when you're selling the vision. What's in it for you? It might not just be financial compensation, although that helps. And that's why I put the one bullet point about maximizing bonuses. But it's also for a sense of meaning. People work because they want to be connected to a larger story. They want to feel like they're part of something meaningful, something that's making a difference, something that's making a dent in the universe. And this is particularly important for the millennial generation. Millennials often get a bad rap because people say they don't have the work ethic, they're, they're entitled, whatever. I've got an entire company full of millennials. They're the hardest working people I know. But the reason they are is because they're connected to a vision they believe in. And that's another key too. It's got to be their vision. Starts with you as the leader. You can't outsource this. You can't delegate it. It's got to start with you. But in the process, it's got to become ours. It's got to become a collective vision. Otherwise, people are going to be disengaged and they're going to be cynical and they're not going to work towards the fulfillment of it. All right. So once we've got it situated in terms of we've got a, a draft, we've got some input, we've got that it fleshed out and revised based upon that. Uh, what are some of the, the key questions and next steps to 
to turn that into specific actions that that start uh, bringing you closer to that vision? Yeah, one of the things I talk about in the second part of the book, I talk about, you know, is it clear? Is it inspirational? But is it practical? This has got to translate into your daily actions. And here's what the linkage looks like. You know, there's so much emphasis in most corporations on execution. Got to execute. If we could execute better, we could accomplish more. Well, here's the thing. If the execution isn't based on a vision, you're going to create a lot of sideways energy, a lot of unproductive fake work. But the vision acts as a filter. It enables you to separate opportunities from distractions. And so often, the more successful you become, distractions show up masquerading as opportunities. And this is why people Mm -hmm. get overwhelmed, why companies have too much to do, why people are working 70 to 80 hours a week. The vision focuses that effort. But once you've got a clear vision, then you can ask yourself the question, again, the three-year time horizon, based on that, what do our annual goals need to be for this year so that we can achieve that vision over the course of the next three years? I recommend seven to 10 goals on an annual basis. That's got to be further disseminated or distilled down to two to three goals per quarter. Then from that, we come down to the weekly priorities, and everybody's got to have weekly priorities that are based on those goals. And I recommend no more than three. You've probably got a thousand things you could do this week, but what are the three most important? And then finally, what are your big three daily tasks? The average person has, and we've done a lot of research on this, but the average person who uses a task management system has 15 tasks on any given day that they they have to do. As a result of that, they wake up feeling overwhelmed. Even if they get eight of those done, more than half, they end up with seven that are unchecked. They go to bed defeated. They're playing a game they can't win. Instead, if you take sort of the Pareto principle that 20% of the effort drives 80% of the results, there's probably 20% of those 15 tasks that are really going to move the needle, that are the high leverage activities that really, really matter. So 20% of 15 is three. So identify your three big tasks for the day. Declare it a victory if you get those three done and do that day after day after day, and you'll incrementally move toward that vision. And that's exactly what my coaching clients do. That's what the leaders we consult with do. And that has made all the difference. And it links that vision with daily action. Well, you've given me some fun data there, those 15. And I guess in practice, most of the time, people do not accomplish all 15. And then you do have those those carryovers that are frustrating. And so I've sort of, I've thought a lot about the 80-20 principle and I am, it's funny how you talk about, do those three, you get to declare victory. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, it's like, well, there's there's three things, but what about the amount of time? Is like, have I really earned a victory if I did those three things in one hour? Yeah, well, I was just gonna say, it's not about how long it takes. Here's the thing, success is not about how much you accomplish, it's whether you're accomplishing the right things. Mm-hmm. And this is the question that real leaders ask. They're not asking how much can I get done, but can I get the right things done? And as it turns out, there's not that many things you have to do to contribute to the vision. Now, let me just give you a case in point. So I have about 500 business coaching clients. Many of those are business owners. Some of them are entrepreneurs. Some of them are just leading inside a corporation. But on average, people that are responsible for revenue in the of my business coaching clients on average, in the first 12 months in the program, using this kind of vision-driven approach, their business grows by 62% on average. All right. That's interesting all by itself. But here's what makes it even more interesting. On average, they shave 11 hours off their work week. They're able to achieve more by doing less because they're not fixated on all this stuff that doesn't contribute to the vision. 
They're focused on the stuff that contributes to the vision and to the future reality that they're trying to create. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is exciting for, for all the overworked uh, people experiencing that. So, all right. So we've got the crafting the vision, breaking it down into the, the particular activities. I, I want to hear uh, when you are going about communicating this, what are some of your, your top do's and don'ts for conveying it effectively with other people? Well, the first thing I would practice is something I call cascading communication, but it's got to begin with a written vision statement. So it's not enough to just have this rattle around in your brain, let it be vague or ambiguous or just kind of floating up there. You've got to express it. And so that's why we say you've got to write the vision. That will force clarity. By writing it down, that forces clarity. So you're going to end up with a vision script, again, a document that's three to five pages in length. You're going to practice cascading communication, which means that you're not just going to like go back, get your entire department together, your entire division or your entire company, and then just read it. No, that's not the way you want to do it. You want to submit this, first of all, to a small, small group, your inner circle. Then you want to roll it out to the next level down and then the next level down. This gives an opportunity for input. So if you've got some glaring errors or some things that you've absolutely missed or don't have quite right, You've got a chance to correct those before you roll it out to a broader group. So each time you roll it out, there should be a little bit less change. But even when you roll it out to the entire group and you're standing in front of whatever organization you preside over, whether again, that's a department or a division or an entire company, you basically want to say, look, we've crafted, we've worked on a vision of the future. This is a reality that we want to create. And we as a leadership team or a management team or whatever you call it inside your organization, we're committed to this future, but we can't do it ourselves. We need your help. There may be things here that we've missed, and we want to invite you to contribute to that and to give us some feedback. So you want feedback. And by the way, you got to reframe negative feedback as something that's truly helpful. If somebody sees something you're missing, I would much rather know from a teammate than to roll it out into the marketplace and figure out when the market doesn't accept it or you embarrass yourself or fall flat on your face. So you want to involve everybody in that process. So it does involve cascading communication. That's one thing. Second thing, it's not a one and done kind of thing where, you know, you finish your vision script, you make a big announcement, ta-da, and then you put it on the shelf and forget it. No, here's the thing. Vision leaks. Andy Stanley talks about this in his book on vision, but vision leaks. What that means is that in the daily grind, as we're trying to work through all the tasks and we're trying to deal with all the incoming stuff that we're reacting to, it's very easy to forget where this task you're doing fits into the bigger story. That's why leaders, true leaders, have to be the voice for the vision. If they're not giving voice to that vision, the vision might as well not exist. The only thing that keeps it alive is you constantly repeating it. Another story. 2009, I was in the teeth, the midst of the Great Recession. It was a horrendous time. Our sales had fallen by 20% that first year. The entire industry had fallen by about uh, the book publishing industry had fallen by about 20% that year. And it was, I mean, it was rough. And I remember complaining to my executive coach. I said, I am so tired about talking about the vision. I feel like it's, you know, it's kind of a lost cause at this point. You know, we've got to re-strategize and I'm tired of hearing myself talk about it. She said, well, I'll tell you what, when you're tired of hearing yourself talk about it, you're half done. This <laughs> is the time people need to hear the vision because people are discouraged. People are not seeing the results of their work. They need to be reminded why they're working. 
what's important, what you're trying to create. So I rolled up my sleeves, redoubled my effort, and kept preaching the vision. I had to keep it alive. And I really think that was the only thing that got us through the Great Recession was the belief that we were creating a future that was bigger than the recession and would come to pass once we got through the other side of the recession, which it did. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, let me follow up on your uh, your point with regard to that this applies to to all folks at all levels. So how do you recommend you apply some of these these questions or principles or approaches when you got no direct reports whatsoever? Did you make a vision for, for yourself and a plan for yourself, or, or how do you think about those matters? Absolutely, because you're still presiding over an area where you have responsibility. And if you're responsible for any kind of results, you can have a vision for what those results can be. So to give an example, our social media manager has zero direct reports, but she's got her own vision script about what it is she's trying to create for us in terms of our social media channels, in terms of, you know, she's got an outside team, very small team of contractors. She's got one contractor that she's working with. That's her team. What's her product? Well, it's the posts. What's the marketing? How does she do this? What's the impact she's wanting to have? But for her to get crystal clear on that, the alternative, again, if you don't design the future, you're going to get to the future. You're just going to drift into it and you're going to drift to a destination that you didn't design, usually one that's not desirable. So I really believe that everybody at every level needs to have a vision for what it is they're trying to create in their role. Even if they're just a solopreneur, even if they're one person in a department with no direct reports, or they have a small department or a division, it doesn't matter. You still need vision. Begin with the end in mind. All right. Well, Michael, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, I would say, you know, that inevitably when you're coming up with a vision, you're going to experience resistance. There are going to be challenges. Just because you come up with a vision, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like magic, this begins to start happening. Stephen Pressfield wrote an incredible book called The Art or The War of Art. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talks about in that book is the resistance. And anytime you purpose to make an improvement, I don't care whether it's try to lose weight, improve your marriage, improve your business metrics, whatever it is, you're going to encounter opposition. And it may just be in the form of something that's uh, not direct or personal, just challenges in the marketplace or whatever, or it may be just people that oppose your vision. But regardless, the value of a vision is when you get into that messy middle, when you've invested too much to quit and you're not sure you have the resources to finish, it's that vision that gives you the tenacity to stay in the hunt and follow through and not quit, not bail out before you realize it. So this has a really practical consequence for staying engaged when you want to quit. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I would say one of my favorite quotes about writing that's apropos to a vision is thoughts disentangle themselves passing over the lips and through pencil tips. That's fun. Thank you. <laughs> and how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I think the research that I've done in my book, Free to Focus, which was my last book, was the importance of actually limiting the amount of time you work so you increase your focus and your productivity. One of the things I discovered in that process is that once you work more than about 50 hours a week, you actually go backwards in terms of productivity and accomplish less. So all these people that are out there advocating what I call the hustle fallacy, you need to work 70, eight hours a week, or like Elon Musk says, you need to work 80 to 100 hours a week. They don't have the science on their side. People that are more productive and accomplishing bigger results are people that are putting firm boundaries around their work and have a life outside of work. And what's the magic number or the range? Up, 50. 50, all right. Yep. 
And how about a favorite book? I'm typically a fan of the last book I read. Mm-hmm. And one of the most recent ones I read that I really loved was Jason Fried's book, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. He advocates some of these same kind of concepts. But if I had to point to a book, one of my favorites of all time is, I've already mentioned it, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. The tool I'm using the most now, right now is a tool called Dynalist. You ever heard of it? I think I've seen it listed, but I've never used it. Tell me more. It's an outlining tool. I used to use a tool called Workflow, and I tend to think in hierarchical outlines. So whenever I'm trying to create content, that's where I start. But Dynalist is kind of like Workflowy on steroids. It's got a lot of features that Workflowy is missing, but yeah, I love it. Cool. And a favorite habit? Uh, My morning routine. Mm -hmm. That's crucial. You know, having a morning ritual that sets me up to win is critically important. And of my morning ritual, there's a number of things that I do there. I think my daily practice of exercise while listening to either podcasts or audiobooks is critical to my both my physical maintenance and my intellectual growth. And is there a particular nugget that you share you're really known for? People kind of quote it back to you often. I think the whole thing about self-care and investing in yourself, that if you want to accomplish more, you've got to drive the roots deep and plant the tree on on firm ground. And I think a lot of leaders don't do enough of that. They're, they're run ragged by their work. They're not reinvesting in themselves. You've got to fill the well if you're going to have anything to share with other people. And Michael, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, first of all, to find out the book, you can go to visiondrivenleader.com slash awesome. We've created a special landing page for your listeners. And there, if you buy the book, The Vision Driven Leader, from any outlet and bring the receipt there, you can turn it in. And we've got a number of free bonuses there, including the audible version of the book. So if you buy the physical book or the Kindle and come there, we'll give you the audible book that you can listen to as well for free. Also, the Kindle edition of my last book, and then a tool called the Vision Scripter Tool, which will take you by the hand and walk you through the process of creating your first draft of a vision script for your department or your division or whatever you preside over. So again, that's all at visiondrivenleader.com slash awesome. For all other things related to me, my podcast and my other products and tools and blog and all that, it's at michaelhyatt.com. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say you've got to be, if you want to succeed, if you really want to grow, if you want your career to progress, you've got to be a vision-driven leader. It's essential. I don't care at what level you are. If you develop a vision, if you develop the habit of developing a vision, if you're being vision-driven, that's going to make you stand out and give you a competitive edge against everybody else that is totally in reactive mode. You'll create bigger, better results. You'll get noticed and you'll get promoted faster. All right. Michael, thanks. It's been a treat and good luck to you. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. I really appreciated Michael's tips associated with vision and vision script and how the the mission statement is really kind of doesn't do the trick. It needs to be emotional and tap into, well, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that and have that juice. So really cool distinctions there. The point I've been thinking about the most was actually kind of about personal productivity there with regard to the 15 is the average number of items on the to-do list, the 80-20 principle, which I'm a huge believer in. We've talked about that a couple of times on the show. That 80-20 principle suggests that 80% of the value will come from 20% of the tasks and thusly we're left with three tasks, the three most important things. And if you really take the time to identify those and, and check them off, you can declare victory. And what I love about this is I've discovered that in practice, that's really hard to make the call. So what are those three things? But it's a heck of a lot easier 
when you've got a clear vision and understanding of, of where we're trying to go here and thusly, which ones uh, will naturally get that job done all the better. And you can even start to make some metrics in terms of how I'm thinking about what I'm trying to do sometimes with my business hours is make money, you know, running a business. So I think, well, all right, I can generate a metric expected wealth created per hour invested and see how different initiatives stack up and say, oh, wow, that one is sure enough way bigger than that. Or, or maybe what I'm needing to do is rejuvenate. <laughs> I've been doing too much work and we'll, we'll see, well, hey, you know, what do we think is going to provide the, the biggest rejuvenation per hour, per dollar, whatever. That's kind of how I like to, to think about those things. But it all starts with having a clear vision on what's important and what you're shooting for. So thank you, Michael. If you could check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, they're over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F558. If you haven't already, I encourage you to push the subscribe button in your podcast app player. If you do, you'll automatically catch our next guest. It's David Burkus. He's talking about picking a fight, a little bit more vision purpose stuff. Hope to get you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.